to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. We're going to have a little bit of a discussion around a panel this morning for the message. So, yes, if you guys would be able to come up now. Andy Nellett, Joe, Sarah and Bronwyn. And as they come up, can we just give them a big hand? Yeah. Doesn't have to be any specific order. Cool. All right. So, I guess the, um, yeah, the, the reason behind this was that the, the theme of this week is, is going with the grain, is, is following the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we thought, what better way to do a discussion than to talk to some people who have answered that call and who have, have gone overseas and worked in this community too. So before we get stuck in too deep, really, I thought because there's people here that, that know you really, really well and probably some people that don't really know you guys at all, if you'd be able to just kind of your name, um, yeah, kind of where you served and when, and uh, yeah, we'll just we'll go from there. Is it all good? Sweet. Cool. I am Sarah Welsh. These are my parents over here. You can give us a little wave. Yeah. So I grew up in this church. This is home. And I have been serving in India, in Kolkata. And um, it was called Freeset. Now it's called Joya. Um, Working with vulnerable women and children. Doing training there and if you've got those little bands, I think they were made at Joya. Yes, there we go. And also more recently, yeah, so I was training people who were looking after the kids in a, like an ethical business, um, empowering women in very vulnerable situations. And then I moved to Bangladesh, so that was more recently, 2021 and 22. And I was doing child development training. Yeah, working with... Uh, mainly with parents in Bangladesh, um, helping them build empathy and build good relationships with their kids. Yeah. Morena, I'm Bronwyn and I grew up in this church and those are my parents over there. Um, and in the, nine, in the late 1990s, in my early 20s, I served on board um, Operation Mobilisation ship, the MV Doulos. I don't know if they've got a picture they're going to pop up. The MV Doulos, um, she's retired now. She's actually a five-star hotel on Bintan Island. They have another ship now. But um, at the time, she was the oldest ship in the world. She was built in 1914, only two years younger than the Titanic. She's pretty old. And um, she, we were 300 people on board from up to 40 different nationalities. We were a floating village, so on board we had... Um, we had hairdressers, we had doctors, we had schools, we had everything on board, and we would travel around the world. We were a bookshop, and that's how we got um, into countries, where we would open the bookshop and we would be able to sell books that, um, that other countries wouldn't get, but we'd also go and work with local churches, so every time we went to a new country, we would have a different mission depending on what the need was. So sometimes it was building, sometimes it was evangelism, sometimes it was church encouragement, so we did different work all around the world. So I went on board and worked as a teacher, I was um, supervisor of Poop Deck, which was the ship's kindergarten and a new entrance. Um, <laughs> Poop Deck's actually a ship name for the certain part of the ship, so it worked out really, really well. Um, 
Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so we worked five days a week. We did one day of missions, and we'd have one day off. And because I was a teacher, my day off was usually a weekend, so I did a lot of church ministries, a lot of children's work, um, and that's... Yeah, that's what I did. It's also a two-year training program, so you're not just going on there to serve, you're going on there to train. So I honestly got way more out of it than what I gave. Hi, my name is Andy. I'm Bronwyn's husband, and basically what she said. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I also was on the ship. I'm uh, rather a practical person, and I ended up being the grease monkey in the engine room. That's where I spent uh, almost three years of my time. Uh, from a professional point, that was the most rewarding and most amazing work I've ever done. Being on the more practical side, uh, we're hidden away because we're all full of grease and whatever, so we didn't do as much ministry as, as other people did on the ship. Having said this, uh, that was exactly what suited me. So I spent almost three years in the engine room, and then for I do not know what reason, I was asked to travel ahead of the ship with a group uh, and preparing the ship visit in uh, different countries. And so I spent some time in Singapore and then also in China, in, in Shanghai. So if you think about early uh, late 90s uh, China and a, a Christian mission organization going and visit, that was quite a quite an eye-opener and uh, lots to learn. And then uh, once we were here in New Zealand, uh, after a year of marriage, we rejoined the organization and we prepared the ship's visit to New Zealand. Uh, that was a whole year Bowman did uh, a lot of recruiting and I did a lot of, uh, what did I do? Working with, working with churches. <laughs> I'm Jo Marshall and um, that's my wonderful mum over there. Oh, does that sound right? Um, in my mid-twenties, I went to Nepal and served as an occupational therapist um, in a hospital for people with leprosy and TB. So that was an interesting place, a rural location. And I worked in the... Um, so that was nearly a year, so it was a short term. Um, and I worked with uh, the people who'd had gone out from the hospital space and were kind of attached to the hospital learning how to live again and how to feed their families and so it was kind of micro enterprises helping them to manage their disabilities really uh, and then I also spent some time in the UK uh, with YWAM for a few months um, just helping in their one of their um, centres there one of their sort of mission um, headquarters, I guess, in the UK, and then I went back also to the UK and worked with an organisation called Battelle, um, which worked with, uh, I was living with girls with drug and alcohol addictions, and they were straight from the street, so that was a very eye-opening time for me. And then I, after we were married, we went to Mexico and spent six years serving the Lord in Mexico. Hi, I'm Elliot. Elliot Marshall, uh, I grew up in Taumudu area, and uh, so my parents aren't here. <laughs> um, before we were married, I spent six months in the Philippines uh, with the Mercy Ships. Uh, They're a wing of YWAM, a medical outreach, and also a disciple training school. And my time on the ships were um, uh, doing the disciple training school. Uh, we did 12-week um, uh, Bible, more of a, 
not quite a Bible college, but more than a Bible study uh, program. And then we went out for a two, nearly a two-month um, missions trip afterwards within the Philippines, uh, doing a bit of um, uh, church, plant, church planting work in the tribal areas and going to uh, helping different um, YWAM uh, bases where different missionaries were with practical things and also going into uh, prisons and sharing the gospel there. Um, our time in, uh, that was 99. Uh, our time in Mexico was uh, 2010. And we were over there working with a WEC team, uh, helping set up a ministry centre. Um, the church is fairly well established in Mexico in most of the areas. So we were there to equip the locals um, to uh, go overseas with the missionary Bible college, um, setting up Christian camps and a pastor's retreat conference centre. And we um, got quite involved with our local church and helping them in whatever way that we could. And then we came back and did four years in Gordington, uh, working in the um, uh, the WEC uh, base here in the New Zealand branch of uh, WEC. And our role was quite well spread, but focused on one part was focused on uh, sending short-term teams and individuals for up to two years. Cool. So I guess I'll, I've, I've got a bunch of questions for you guys, um, and. I'll, I'll put the question out there, and if you just if you if you want to answer it, then sweet as go for the mic. If if you if you don't or you want to pass, just just go with that. So, I guess the next one is, could you describe the moment that you felt God was calling you to uh, this overseas mission? Uh, for me, um, a couple of years before '99, I was in church, and. Um, had a word spoken over to over me. Uh, the guy asked, uh, said to, sort of, said to me, but asked question form. Um, did I like to travel? I said yes. Did I like to work with my my hands? And I said yes. And he said that he could see me overseas, groundbreaking like a ship going through ice, and doing doing missions work. And I didn't know what missions work was. I grew up in a church, didn't heard of it, but didn't really put two and two together. And then I heard about the mercy ships and the DTS that YWAM ran. And I thought that it would be a good, good chance, like in the construction industry, uh, you do a three-month trial period, but whether you fit with the team, uh, the the job or not. And if you did, you carried on. So with missions, I thought this would give me a six six-month time to be able to see what a missionary does. And I came back thinking, yeah, that's that's where God wants me to be. That's what I want to do. That's what floated my boat as such. So for me, it was uh, going to church and seeing all these visitors, uh, missionaries, missionaries come in and, and, and standing in front and, you know, telling what they're doing. I always saw them as spiritual heroes. I always thought, wow, look at these people. And I could not identify myself ever getting involved in anything like this. Um, they're talking about this work they're doing and how they relied on God and all of this thing. And, and, and this, that was me, little Andy, and just no way would I ever gonna be uh, involved with something like this. And then uh, 
I was in between jobs. Different way of saying I got sacked because I was rude to my boss. <laughs> and, and someone suggested to me that uh, I use my, my skills with the doulos. Uh, it's a ship. They're going through a renovation project, but they could use people with my skills. So, okay, I'll, I can go because, you know, I know how to swing a hammer. I know how to use tools and so on. So I committed for six months to go. And while I was there, first thing was, it wasn't, a, in, in my eyes, it wasn't a boat full of missionaries. It was a boat full of 300 normal people, people I could see myself in. It was people that just exposed themselves to the will of God, and I could see myself doing this. And then along the way, there were a number of sort of eye-opening moments. Um, like when, when you're from Switzerland, you are growing up because the whole world tells you Swiss accuracy, Swiss this, Swiss that, and whatever. And so you, I went to, to the ship, and, and uh, I was working with people from the Philippines and, and from well, all over the world, and I'm thinking, the Swiss way is the only way in Switzerland. <laughs> so I've learned that there's so much I can learn, and when I open myself up to things, I can actually then give, give as well. And so there was not a, a single moment where I got like, wow, I want to come, but just over probably about five, six months, people praying for me. And then one day I, I was asked, hey, we, we need people to join after the, the six months, you know, when the ship starts sailing again. Do you want to join? And it was from, I can never be a missionary to, I definitely can do this. So it was, yeah, it was just the, a period of time when I realized that missionaries, yes, they are spiritual giants. They are people of God, but I can be that too. Um, for me, it was almost like a natural extension from growing up in this church, which is very missions-focused. It was just almost a given, oh, yeah, I'll do something in the mission field because it's just what we do. Also, there's three parts to mission, praying, giving, and going, and I just felt it was my time to go. I was overseas on my big ODE, having the time of my life, and then, and then I thought, oh, I really should really do something serious. And so um, miracles happen when you're travelling and backpacking. I don't know how on earth I managed to get on board because you're supposed to have a, a home country and support. But while I was backpacking and living in Israel and doing all this stuff, I managed to raise support and I managed to get accepted and I managed to arrive on the ship, which is absolutely just God's will. Yeah. Um, for me, it's, it's been quite a long process. But if we're, like, yeah, I think definitely growing up in this church helps these guys go out and, um, yeah, hearing the stories. But um, I, yeah, when I was a teenager, I had this sense of call, but I didn't know quite what that would look like. And I actually, we went to this conference. I went to a conference, a teen conference with some friends, and they had this trip to Russia that you could apply for. Um, I didn't end up in Russia, obviously. Um, so I applied and I got declined. And um, for me, that was kind of like a... a I guess a catalyst for me to really pray into, okay, God, where do you want me to go? And um, India just kept popping up. And then um, when I finished high school, my bestie, who also um, grew up here, got invited to go on a trip, like a five-week trip to India, and that was a confirmation for me, like, okay, I'm coming back to this land one day and I'm going to like get established here and serve here. Yeah. That's awesome. It's quite encouraging to to just know that it, like what you're all kind of saying is that it's, it's practical things, and that God can use. Yeah, God can use anything, anything that um, that He's gifted you with. So that, that's awesome. Next question: Was there was there a moment 
I'm hoping there was, a moment while you were over there, while you were serving, that you thought, this is exactly why I'm here? Yep, because I met Andy Geisman. <laughs> yes, thank you, God. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, seriously, no. That was part of it. Um, it's funny, when I, when, I, when I felt like it was my turn to go on the mission field, I said to God, oh, I'll go, but anywhere but India. Um, and where was the first place I joined the ship? India for six months. And I tell you, I loved it. So really, God does, he does know. But I, throughout the whole thing, if you have a, a, a heart where you just want to learn, then you're always in the right place. And I just learned so much um, that I knew that I was in the right place for that time. Um, this might sound like a kind of crazy answer, but um, when I was reading um, this question the other day when you sent it, the first thing that came into my mind was this. Um, the encouragement that we, that I've often received, um, in particular I'm thinking about our time in Mexico, uh, often came at a time when things were total rubbish, like they were just really bad, <laughs> and things were going badly, um, and it seemed like almost everything was against us being there, and in fact those were the times that I think we felt the most encouraged, and it's because we felt that the enemy of our souls was trying to pull us down, you know, and discourage us. But at that point, you know you're being Jesus' light right there where you're being planted. And we, we knew in those times, that even though it seemed so hard, that the Lord would be glorified through the situation, that he had the victory, and that we were obviously doing something right because we were being his light right there. And um, so that might seem crazy in our in our sort of, um, the way we think, oh, it's terrible, they're sick, you know, we've got issues, the kids are not, you know, right. But that's when we felt most encouraged because, yeah, we were like, okay, this is God's work and Satan doesn't like it. And um, the, uh, another thing with that is uh, there were time, times both um, in the Philippines but also in Mexico that we um, just hanging out with the locals whether they're Christian or non-Christian, and just doing life with them, um, encouraging them through your actions, showing them God's love to them, and not 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 always having to use words. Uh, words are powerful; they help, but also actions, just showing them a different way of living and how God can can encourage them and move them toward taking them from that one step to the next step that God's asked them to do. So for me, it, it's got a little bit like to what, what Joe just said. So, you know, you've seen this big white ship and uh, we didn't go to the glamorous port cities. We went to small little towns and we, we uh, went, went to the berth and people sort of tried to, if they would ever see a ship, a big white ship, they tried to get on and then security pushes them away and, and we were the other way around. We opened up the doors and we invited people and sometimes we had crowds of tens of thousands and other times we had five or ten. And uh, I remember a, a pastor's conference on, on the ship, there was a conference center as well. And we had a pastor's conference and I can't remember the exact details, but it was just a handful of pastors that came that had been struggling on their own in a certain area and they were hugely blessed by, a, a, by, by a, an opportunity to meet, to know that other Christians are praying for them. So there I am, I'm in, in, in the engine room making sure that the lights don't go out, but yet God's, God's work is, is being furthered. You know, so that was, that was amazing for me. 
Oh, when I heard that question, my mind's going, oh, just one? Um, because there's just, there's so many moments when you're like, okay, yeah, this is why I'm here. Um, yeah, there's so many things, times when I've seen God at work. Um, also, I think when I see, um, so some of the women that I've connected with, so I worked in Bangladesh as well, I worked in a business that was based in a red light district, and there's was a young girl who was um, come out of that, and she's working in the crash, and um, she was pregnant, and just like when she had her baby, and I came in and she saw me and her face lit up and she comes and hands me her baby and um, just like that that connection and being able to love people and yeah I guess God reminding them that they matter through us is um, is cool oh, that's, that's awesome Changing tact a little bit, and it might sound bad if this is one of the questions I was interested in the most, but I, I'm on the way to you, where you're serving, and I'm, I'm hungry, and I'm, I want some local cuisine. Where are you taking me and why? Um, we've all worked in a few different places. Um, Take your pick. <laughs> but um, when I was in Dhaka, when I was working in an office, we had a cook. And she's amazing. So come and visit my office. When we have visitors, she'll cook biryani, and all of her food is amazing. Noted. <laughs> we were spoiled because we, tra we, we traveled everywhere, so we got to, to try everything. And I would just recommend, um, we always went to the local markets. They always said, don't eat at the local markets. We always ate out at the local markets. Never, ever got sick. Um, and I've also learned when we went out on church teams, Food is the way that connects people, and so people show their love by giving food. It pays in a lot of countries not to ask what you're eating, if you want to be polite. <laughs> I found out at Eden pig testes after I'd eaten it, so I always learnt just to smile and eat and never ever ask what I was eating. So, for me, food is very important, and like Bromwich just said, you know, both food, you share a lot of stuff. When I was in Singapore, the greeting there quite commonly was you walk into someone's house and they say, hi, have you eaten? So it's, it's food is very important. And, and as I've traveled around different cultures and still do it with work, it's actually important in every single culture. So I haven't been at any place where food was sort of just, you know, not, not so important. Um, I eat, I call it roadside chicken. Not, not died on the road, but cooked on the side of the road. Uh, I just don't eat it three days before I fly, so that's kind of something I... Um, no, so just anything and everything I, I'm, I'm quite keen to try. Don't ask what it is, you might not want to eat afterwards. And uh, beside eating, I actually have a philosophy in, in, in travel. If you, if you travel and you want to say you have experienced the culture, you've got to eat local foods, you have to lo travel public transport, and you have to use public toilets. So those three are the more important ones that you have to do. Uh, for me, it would depend on whether I want to give you a real Mexican um, cultural experience. If you're going that way, then it would be pancita, which is um, you need to eat it with uh, lots of dogs around you so that you can brush it off onto the floor and let the dogs eat it. <laughs> uh, it's pigs and... In, in, uh, yeah, pigs intestines, pigs intestines cross cut and everything. So you, you, it's in a soup and it's boiled and it's rubbery and yuck. Um, but no, I, after church we would um, we had a church in the evenings and we'd go out for a meal after church and we'd go down either to pastor's house or down the street with the pastor, and we'd have um, 
pasole, which is a, a bowl of um, a broth with uh, corn boiled in it, and it's um, maize, and it normally has a meat, whether it's chicken or pork, uh, added to it, and then you add in whatever chilli you want on top, so it can be really mild or it can be really, really, really hot. Mexican food's great like that. You can, you can. There's only a couple of dishes that you actually cook the chili in. The rest you add it to it. Um, but if you wanted to sit down and have a meal at a restaurant or someone's house, you go for um, uh, quesadillas or chicken mole. And chicken mole is a uh, chocolate chili paste, co- uh, and you cook the chicken into it. And it's real yum. <laughs> oh, if you came to Mexico, it would have taken you to get street food because it's the best. And um, so what the ladies do to make a little bit of money for their families is they literally go out the front of their house, start cooking something that they're good at, and they usually only cook stuff they're really good at, and then you buy it and they make some money. So you just walk along the street till you find someone that might be doing that. Um, and I would have probably taken you to our favourite um, street food place, which was to have gorditas, which is like um, actually directly um, translated as little fatties. And boy, they if you ate them every day, you would get very fat. But they are very delicious. And it was essentially a um, soft dough kind of made of masa flour, which is like corn, like maize flour. And they would make it into a ball and stuff inside, um, beautiful, like, mixture of chicken and stuff and special kind of Mexican cheese. And then they'd flatten it in the tortilla press and fry it very hot with lots of oil in front of you. And one of the other reasons we loved it was you knew you couldn't, you had less chance of getting sick which we did all the time in Mexico um, with the food, um, because they cook it hot in front of you. They have to cook it to order. So you watched it being cooked. That made it even more appealing. Yum. That all sounds pretty good. Apart from the roadside chicken, I think I might pass on that. Andy. <laughs> um, right. Given you were in a very unfamiliar, especially initially when you went locations and culture, how important was the leading of the Holy Spirit in your everyday life? What I found was that every day you expose yourself to the Holy Spirit. You invite them right at the, at the beginning of the day. And, and well, it's, it's there all the time. You're so much more aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're so much more aware of, of the whole spiritual aspect of life. Um, I found I, I approached every day actually quite different to what I do now. Um, so when I go, when we went into a different culture, you first you use your eyes and you you watch what people do. If you're in the Middle East, you don't wear shorts because you know only boys wear shorts. If you're not being taken serious, you don't wear shorts. In the same way, as you look at people, you 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 see what their needs are. And like I said before, I don't see myself as a super spiritual hero. You just meet people at their level, and and you just with them, and and there's always someone coming. It was you know, some someone around you can share time with. So the Holy Spirit was the, the Spirit was there all the time, and and it, it's not like like my life is now, where I actually have to I see something, and then I invite the Holy Spirit to guide me. It's just it was there 
constant. It was present. So, so don't want to say it's the wrong question, but it it sort of made me realise how much more I've actually exposed myself to to God in in the time of being so reliant on His provision as well. Um, also, too, when you. When you're in a new and culture in a new environment, you have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We we take it for granted here because we don't need it <laughs> for everyday life. If you're in the middle of an African village showing the Jesus movie, and the machine breaks down, you just can't call up someone to fix it. You have to pray. You know, I arrived once at a at a weekend retreat to find out I was the preacher. <laughs> I mean, I needed the Holy Spirit then. So you really, really are relying on the Holy Spirit for everything because you don't have any other choice. Um, Mexico is a very black and white country. Uh, you're either for God or you're against it, and you're completely against it if you're against Him. So I guess the the closest for me to explain it to a Kiwi is that the the spirit world is woven completely through everything that you do. So the Maori people, Maori culture, bring it in together, whereas the Westerners we separate it. And you have, if in Mexico, you, you need to, to survive in Mexico, you need to learn to bring the Holy Spirit into everything that you do. And if you're going to go forward anywhere there, then you need, you need time to be able to connect with people, but you need the Holy Spirit to guide you. And there are lots of times we'd walk in, in, into a place just practically uh, practical, not doing any church-focused, God-focused stuff, and I'd be saying to Joe, "Okay, what are you, what are you picking up here?" Because she was my spiritual, <laughs> spiritual gauge as such on on my surroundings, and then we could go forward on whatever way we needed to. Um, I'm not sure if I'm a bit off track, but um, the the sense of evil was very real in Mexico. You could walk into a room and feel, if you were light walking into that room, if you were a Jesus, lover of Jesus, you could almost sense the heaviness and attack. And it was just so like nothing I've experienced much here, I have on occasions. And um, it was, as Elliot said, you were either for or against God. And so we just relied so heavily on God's prompting and um, and his guidance. I mean, we do here too, but I think when there's a very, yeah, when there's almost a palpable, you know, like that kind of sense of real evil um, everywhere, <laughs> um, yeah, I think... Yeah, I mean it's here too, but I think it's just a different. It was a different experience. Yeah. So, finally, what would you guys have? What would your parting words be to someone who is thinking about going on an overseas mission? For me, it would be get uh, do a short-term trip, make it more than two weeks, um, be it three, six, nine months, uh, if you can. And then if you come back and you see that God's taking you down that track, look at what you need to do practically, spiritually, to prepare yourself as you are doing that. Um, try and find a, a group, an agency that you can connect in with. There's, um, there's, you can learn lots from those that have gone and tried something and it didn't work or tried something and it did work 
rather than trying to be a lone ranger or go out on your own. Um, and there's power in numbers. And as you're doing all of those, keeping an ear open to what God's saying and timing, uh, God's timing, there are, there are windows in our lives that God opens the doors. And if we see them, and then later on down the track, we look back and we can see that, yeah, that was God's timing. And if we hadn't have gone, we may never have gone or when will that next time come? So, and get people around you, share the vision so that they can be praying for you. Um, a team over there is, is, is powerful, but a team back here praying for you is, if not more, powerful. And you need that. Um, you need their backing as well. If God's prompting you about missions and you feel that that's what he's talking to you about, don't delay. <laughs> um, you know, do actively do something about it. I've had a couple of good friends who felt very strongly called to missions and they delayed and they never went. And I talked to one a while ago and she said, oh, it's the most biggest regret in my life. I never heard what God was saying, I didn't do it. Um, I heard what God was saying, but I didn't do it. The work is a few. If God's calling you or you feel prompted about overseas missions, don't don't delay and, and actively do something. And I think the thing is often we have a fear of failure and um, that's not right because that's not a God. <laughs> and um, I think if you don't try, um, that's more a failure. <laughs> yeah, so do something about it. So we all heard about the uh, the Great Commission. I like to call it the Great Co-Mission because you're not there on your own. So just what Elliot said, you know, it's the people here, but also, and it's probably even more important, co with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You know, you're not there on your own. There will be days that were hard in the build-up when you're there. Uh, when you come back, it's the co-mission of you're not on your own and also it does take a lot of effort to to share with people back home what you're doing but keep them keep them informed that's probably one of my mistakes i did i didn't keep people informed enough um think are oh, they're not interested people are actually really interested but yeah so commission keep people and the holy spirit and god and jesus involved missions is it's it's not just what you think it is and there's so many different aspects to it. I mean, I was just working as a teacher and God still got to use me. Um, my thing would be go with an, with an open mindset that you're not going there to do stuff. You actually, I receive so much more um, and learn that your way is not the only way. Um, you learn that pretty, really quickly, that different is not wrong. Different is different. Um, I, I remember when I, I was in a, you know, sharing a cabin with lots of other girls really prepare you for the real world because you really have to die to yourself. And I had a lovely cabin mate who every morning would clean her nose by clearing it in the sink. And that used to gross me out terribly. And so I, we were talking about it one day and she, and she sort of casually went, oh, you Europeans are gross. You blow into a tissue and stick it in your pocket. That's so disgusting. And then when I thought about it, I thought, you know, it's nothing's wrong. It's just different, and it's accepting those things. And um, we were on the ship, as I said, we had up to 40 different nationalities on board. We all from different denominations, and our, 
our worship times were amazing. We all worship different. The Koreans pray out loud. Different cultures pray quietly. And it worked because we weren't judging. We were just accepting. So I just say, wherever you go, just accept and learn that your way is not the only way. I think like there's a bit of a theme about not being a, a lone ranger. Um, yeah, it's it's very much of a collective thing. Even for me, going out as a single person, I went out, sent out from this whare, um, with This is a really good place to go from, I must say, um, with the, all these prayer warriors, all this encouragement. And, um, and there was community there as well. And I got through hard times because there was friends beside me speaking truth into situations and praying with me. Um, yeah, so that's really, really important. And, um, yeah, I guess, like, that discernment process of, okay, like, knowing where God wants you to go, what God wants you to do, and um, his timing as well. Like, don't delay. Take some steps. Um, but it might take longer than you think, like. Um, hold your plans open to God and continue to be like obedient um, to how that might unfold. That's awesome. Yeah, just as a bit of a closing thoughts, I suppose. I, I when I first looked at that Matthew twenty-eight verse, um, and it's it's kind of been said already. It, it what stood out to me was Jesus telling the disciples that I'm going to be with you always, despite the fact that he was just about to leave. <laughs> And, and I, I guess I kind of forgot that in um, John 16, 7, he, he told them, yeah, for I go, if, if I don't go away, then the comforter is not going to come to you. And, and, but if I depart, I'm going to send him to you. And uh, of course, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And, and later on in, in, verse, in verse 13 of John 16, he, he explains that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us in all truth. And that we're going to actually work in partnership with Jesus and, and we're going to get told things and shown things um, ahead of time. So I, I guess it was, it was just kind of this revelation and I'm always blown away of, of how connected we are as people when we are listening to God's Spirit. I had someone earlier in the week send me a voice message, which I've never quite got, um, the whole sending voice message thing. But they were like, oh, God's... You, you were on my heart this morning when I was praying. And uh, when I asked God why, he told me this. And it was like the message they gave me was exactly what I needed to hear that day. It was like it was spot on. And, um, and now I know that I, can, I hear from God. And I know that, um, that God could have told me that thing, but, but he chose to work through that person. And, and I was encouraged, and then they were encouraged too. When I came back to them, they said, wow, that was just exactly what I needed to hear. It's almost like I had this thought this morning. Hopefully, it's not blasphemous, but uh, it was like when you become a Christian, it's almost like you get invited into like God's group chat, and and I guess the message I'm, I'm thinking of for the last couple of weeks is like, don't don't mute the chat, like like don't ignore it. Um, everyone has something to contribute, and uh, we've got like Smith said, we've got a wall of missionaries out there. I would encourage you guys and myself to 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 look at their faces to get the to get to know their names, to, to see where they're serving. And, um, and we might find that God actually puts them on our hearts in, in our prayer time. And uh, we've got a wall of, of prayer requests over on the notice board. That's local prayer requests. That's people that go to this church and some people that don't go to this church. So that's another, another great um, opportunity to, to ask God, like, what are, you, what are you doing right now? 
and how can I join you in it? I think for myself, it's always been like, right, what am I going to go out and do? Like, what am I going to try and achieve? And it's like, no, I'm actually, I'm actually need to be asking God, what, yeah, where, where can I join in? He's doing something. He's working right now. Where can, where can we slot in with that? Um, so yeah, God, over this last three weeks, um, you might have been, have God put something on your heart and he might be telling you to pray. He might be telling you to, to give. Um, he might be telling you to, to be one of those people. We might, we might have your picture on the wall um, in six months' time. And uh, yeah, but overall, overarching, I think we, we need to be listening, right? Like that's, that's the thing. There's the listening and then there's the being challenged. And Aaron said it great last week. You, you get challenged and then you do something about it. So um, yeah, I guess that's, that's, that's my prayer for, for this week. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you uh, for blessing our fellowship with with these, with these great people. I look up to them, Lord. I, I, I see them as, as heroes of faith, um, even though they might not see themselves like that. And um, I just pray that you would you'd be working in the hearts of everyone here and, and we would be listening, Lord, that if you're saying something to us, that you would be listening, uh, that we would be listening and that we would uh, have the, um, the courage. You'd get, make us bold, Lord, to do something about it, um, to, not to, to not to delay, to not to have regrets that we didn't uh, follow what you were telling us to do. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.